Why did you come to church today? You could be doing a million other things, but for some reason, here you are. If you're a Christian, how did you become one? I'm sure that you didn't decide on your own and say, I'm going to be a Christian today. I'm leaving my old life. I'm turning and repenting for my sin. And I'm going to dedicate my whole life to following and serving Jesus. You did say something like this, but not on your own. Someone was working in your life, leading you to live a life of faith. So what is this faith that we live? We need to be reminded of the faith that we have been given and claim God's promises that come from his calling. This morning we're going to look at the privileges or the, or the, the features of our faith, of our precious gift of faith. And then this afternoon, we're going to look at the, at the necessity of growing in our faith and, and thus have assurance that we are saved. So there are, there are six privileges or features of our faith that our text in 2 Peter 1 addresses. The first feature of our faith, as we've already been introduced, is that we have been called by God. Verse 3 says that, we have been called by Christ's glory and goodness. God reaches out to us, not the other way around. So what does it mean that we've been called? Well, let me suggest to you that it means three things. It means that God has chosen some before time began. Ephesians 1.4 says that we were chosen in him before the creation of the world. And Jeremiah 1.5 says, I chose you before I formed you. Before I formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were born. And Christ died for us before we did anything. While we were still sinners. God calling you to be his child is in no way based on anything that you have contributed. God reaches out to us. And then we become his children. God's call is also highly effective. It's undeniable. When God called you, he created a faith in you. When God calls a person, God succeeds. You may have heard of the conversion of C.S. Lewis. It is said that Lewis fought greatly up to the moment of his conversion noting that he was brought into Christianity like, like a prodigal, kicking, struggling, resentful, and, and darting his eyes in every direction for a chance to escape. But C.S. Lewis writes in Surprised by Joy, You must picture me alone in that room at Magdalen, night after night, feeling, whenever my mind lifted even for a second from my work, the steady, unrelenting approach of him, whom I so earnestly desired not to meet. That which I greatly feared had at last come upon me. I gave in and admitted that God was God and knelt and prayed, perhaps 
that night the most dejected and reluctant convert in all England. The truth is there's not a person in this world, there's not a person in this room that would choose God on his or her own. We would choose our own way apart from God had God not intervened. We must humbly admit that we did not, we cannot, and we will not contribute anything to our salvation. Ephesians 2.8.9 tells us, It is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of work, so that no one may boast. The third point about our call from God is that we were called for a purpose. 2 Timothy 1.9 says, God saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. So what is this holy calling? He He called us to a life of holy and righteous living. He called us to grow in our faith. He called us to be his witnesses in his kingdom. And many other specific things that we've been called to. When God called us to be his children, he gave us a gift. And so a second related feature of our faith is that we have been received. Sorry, that we have received our faith. Verse 1 addresses the believers, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. The word that means received is only used three other times in the New Testament. And each time it refers to being chosen by lot. In Luke 1.9, Zechariah is chosen to offer incense in the temple. In John 19, the Roman soldiers cast lots to see who would get Jesus' garments. And lastly, Acts 1 describes how Judas was appointed to apostolic ministry. So the, so the meaning of this word has the idea of a person being selected or to be given something by lot from an outside source or influence. So we have received our faith. A belief in God, in in Jesus Christ. Faith which is necessary for salvation is a gift from God. We cannot produce it by our own strength or our own wills. It must be received from God himself. God appointed, as it were, by lot that Peter's readers would receive such faith. A third feature of our faith is that the faith we have common is equal. The faith that Peter the Apostle has been given was not greater than the Gentile believers he was writing to. The faith that Peter has been given is not greater than ours. The faith of the elders of this church is not greater than those who just made profession of faith in early June. Verse 1 says, Simon Peter a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Peter is the writer, and he addresses his readers this way 
to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. A better translation is to those who have received a faith of equal standing or equal privilege with ours. Galatians 3.28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are, you are all one in Christ Jesus. This verse is not saying that there is no distinctions or differences, for example, between males and females and roles that they are called to fulfill. But this verse is saying that Jews and Greeks, males and females, slaves and masters, are all equal in spiritual privileges. All who are called by God have been given the same gift of faith. All have been given the same spiritual privileges and opportunities. All stand before God on equal and level ground. Is this surprising to you? It, it, it was a, kind of for me as I thought about it some more. Because when I, when I think about some of the spiritual greats like, like Peter the Apostle... Or John Calvin, Jonathan Edwards, John Piper. Um, it's easy for me to think that, that you know, they're way up there and, and I'm just a, a spiritual weakling down here. But there are no first and second class Christians. All Christians have received the same priceless saving faith. We all receive the same great and precious promises as verse 4 says. We can say, however, that some people have a closer relationship with God than others do. You can see that. But all have received the same saving faith, with the same features and spiritual privileges. I think this equality between people groups and races really hit Peter the Apostle. You can recall that the vision that, that Peter had in Acts 10 when, when he saw a sheep coming down from heaven, carrying all kinds of what were considered unclean animals, to the Jews. And then God said, kill and eat. Through that experience, Peter learned that God shows no impartiality or favoritism to anyone. Everyone, not just the Jews, were welcome in God's family. And then in Galatians 2, Paul tells the story of how he had to set Peter straight. First, Peter would eat with the Gentiles, but when certain men came from the circumcision party, he'd He'd back away and separated himself from those, those unclean Gentiles, fearing the circumcision party. And thus he was, he was acting hypocritically, because in one sense he said he was committed to the gospel of grace, and, but when push came to shove, he, he, he pretended that one had to be a Jew and do the works of a Jew in order to be saved. So at that time he was leading others astray by his hypocrisy. Peter wrote 2 Peter shortly before his death. The fact that in the very first verse in the greeting, he mentions that all have received a faith of equal standing tells me that he had learned his lesson and was on fire with this, with, with this truth. He realized that all people groups are welcome in God's kingdom. No one is superior to another. I wonder how much of, of Peter's problem is our problem as well. Do you ever look down on others because you feel superior in your faith? Or do you feel like you're at the bottom looking up, 
feeling like you have an inferior faith, that you're not as good as some others in the church. This is simply not true. If God has called you to be his child, and you have been given faith in Christ, and you believe in him and trust in him with your life, then you have all the privileges that all believers have. And we could even extend that to the churches over there. We could, we could say something like, well, at least we're not like that church down the street. It is true that some churches are not churches because they are not biblical or Christ-centered, but we must be careful about being critical about churches that, that are Christ-centered and biblical. They are our brothers and sisters. How is our faith accomplished? Our fourth feature of our faith is that our faith is accomplished by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's look at a, a few passages to help us understand this truth. Romans 3, verse 21 begins with, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Christ took our place. Listen to how 2 Corinthians 5 explains what God did through Jesus. God made him, Christ, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. So when God looks at us now, he doesn't see our old sinful self. He sees Christ's righteousness, which has been given to us. We are declared forgiven because Christ took on our sin and paid for our sin on the cross. Thus, we are given a new nature, as verse 4 introduces. Through Christ's glory and goodness, he has given us his very great and precious promises and out of the many that there are, we're talking about six this morning. Through these promises, we may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. This is our fifth feature of our faith. We were born in sin, but because of Christ, we can escape that life. As much as we may like this world, it is highly corrupted because of people's evil desires. Verse 4 promises that we have escaped the corruption and evil of this world. There's an always, an already but not yet component of the gospel. We have already escaped the power of the corruption of the world. We still struggle with sin, but we are no longer slaves to our sinful nature. We wait for Christ's return when he will fully destroy the corruption of the world. For now, we live in this world. God has called us to a purpose to do his work on earth. 
But we are foreigners and sojourners in the world. This is our temporary home. Verse 4 says that we participate in the divine nature. Very interesting statement. What does it mean? Kind of sounds like we become like little gods. But that's not what is... That's, doesn't quite sound that way. It's, it means that we become partakers or sharers in the divine nature. We share in some of his nature as we be, become increasingly, increasingly like him, like Jesus. We become more and more like the people he created and wants us to be. Genesis 1 tells us that we were made in God's image. When God called us to be his children, he called us to change and become the new person he calls us to be. And to put to death the sinful nature that distorts the image of God that we bear. We also have the promise that when Christ returns, we will be perfected. Let's return to 2 Corinthians 5. Verse 17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed and the new has come. We were given the Holy Spirit when we were reborn when we were given a new heart. The Holy Spirit is in the process of transforming our hearts and minds into Christ's perfect nature. This, this begun at our conversion, but the process continues our whole lives. Let's look back at 2 Peter 1, verse 3. His divine power has given us everything, all things we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him. This is our sixth privilege. And, and, and it introduces verses 5 to 11, which we will continue with this afternoon. Christ's power, God's power, has given us everything we need. You, me, all of us, everything. Everything for life, for now, and eternity. Our eternal life has begun. Christ's power has given us everything we need for eternal life, for living for him, glorifying him, being his instruments on earth, and living with him in paradise. But we can't have eternal life without godliness. Life and godliness, you can't have one without the other. Godliness, well that's our focus for, for this afternoon. But God's power, his divine power, gives us everything we need to be more godly, to be godly, and only God can make people godly. There's an important word in verse 3, and it's also in verse 2. In fact, it is used some 16 times in this short book, and the word is knowledge. Our faith is not based on some loosey-goosey, superficial, vague idea, but the Christian's precious gift of faith is built on knowing the truth about God, the saving work of His Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit that lives and works in, in, his, in the believers. The deeper and, and wider the knowledge of God is, verse tells us, verse 2 tells us, the more abundant grace and peace are. The knowledge of Christ mentioned in these verses is not a shallow, weak belief. You could ask most people on, on the street, do you know Jesus? Yeah, I know Jesus. He's that, that good person, that prophet that lived 2,000 years ago. But the knowledge we're talking about is a, 
intimate knowledge. It's a a lifelong relationship that began at conversion and continues to grow through our whole lives. The best uh, picture I I can think of is, is, is a marriage. A husband and a wife know each other on their wedding day. And then they, they get to know each other intimately. And over many years, their knowledge of each other continues to grow and deepen. The knowledge a husband has for his wife is deep and intimate, lifelong and growing. Through our intimate relationship with Christ, we have been given everything for life and godliness. Everything for our life of eternity and growing in Christ's likeness. These six features and privileges of the faith have been given to his people out of his own grace and purpose. The Bible always presents two ways. A way that leads to life and a way that leads to death. This morning, once again, God offers to us life. Perhaps you've never really known this gift of faith that God offers. Perhaps God is calling you today. Don't be like C.S. Lewis and try to resist. Accept God's call and his love to be his child. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Does anything or anyone else offer you more spiritual privileges and blessings than God through faith in Jesus. Repent of your old life and turn to him. You don't need to wait to hear an audible voice from from God. If you have that desire in your heart, then God is calling you. And if God has called you, then he has called you to grow in your knowledge of him. So people loved by God, all of you who have been given this precious faith, God calls you to add to your faith. Not to add to our salvation, but to add to our faith. We are called to be eager to make our calling and election sure. We can be sure of our salvation. This will be our focus this afternoon. Amen. We're going to sing Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine, number 490.